banded together from remote galaxies are 13 of the most sinister villains of all time, the Legion of Doom. Dedicated to a single objective, the conquest of the universe. Only one group dares to challenge this intergalactic threat, the Super Friends. Justice League of America versus the Legion of Doom. This is the Challenge of the Super Friends. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 113 of the Man of Screen Podcast. I am your host, Mike Zumo, and this episode will be my penultimate episode covering the 1978 season of Super Friends. The season subtitled Challenge of the Super Friends, even though it is a combination of two very different shows into one hour of television, and I also want to point out that this is the episodes I'm covering this week are the last episodes to air before Superman the movie was released in theaters on December 15th, 1978. I am, however, not going to head into my coverage of Superman the movie after this episode. Superman the movie month will begin with episode 115 on October 2nd, even though the Challenge of the Super Friends episodes that I'll be covering next week actually air after the release of Superman the movie. It would just seem weird to have one episode of Challenge of the Super Friends just kind of hanging out by itself on the other side of Superman the movie. So so for that reason, I'm going to finish off Challenge of the Super Friends before heading into my coverage of Superman the movie. And that's something that's going to come up a lot later in time. The, the timeline of the show may not be perfect as I move ahead into the 90s, and uh, content starts overlapping. But more on that in a few years. At least a year or two. Before I get into this week's episodes, which are the new Super Friends episode, Batman Dead or Alive, and Battle of the Gods, and the Challenge of the Super Friends, Fairy Tale of Doom and Doomsday, I have some feedback I'd like to address. The first of which is from Dave Beckelveni. Dave is writing in on Man of Screen, episode 102. And Dave writes, Greetings, Mike. I must apologize listening to my feedback for episode 92 at the beginning of this episode. I think I sound like an insufferable know-it-all correcting the writers of Dr. Pelagian's War about the meaning of Pelagian. I think my high school Greek class just took over part of my brain. As for this episode, I wonder why, in Planet of the Neanderthals, the Super Friends needed to build their own time tunnel, since, at this time, Superman was quite experienced in time travel under his own power. Maybe the time tunnel was better for locating the exact time in the past when the obelisk was. If he'd gone into the past under his own power, maybe he wouldn't have known exactly what to stop. It was a bit of a Bond villain of Varco to tell the Super Friends exactly where his time tunnel was located, though. In Flood of Diamonds, it's certainly a treat to have an appearance by Green Lantern, one of the founding members of the Justice League. Well, not in the movie, but in the comics. In The Coming of the Anthropods, it's almost a throwback to the 1950s science fiction movies with intelligent insects menacing the Earth. I laughed when you, when you wondered why Batman didn't have a can of Raid in his utility belt. I imagine he didn't have enough room for both Raid and his Bat Shark repellent spray, and the Shark repellent was probably more important. If Batman wanted to get rid of the, in- the insectoids permanently, he could probably just step on them, but that probably wouldn't pass muster for a kid's cartoon in the 1970s. I'm liking Season 2 better than the first season. As you've pointed out, we do see some actual villains in these stories, rather than just misguided do-gooders, and I think villains make for better dramatic tension and storytelling. Thanks as always for a fun podcast. Live long and prosper. Dave. So, uh, thank you, Dave, as always, for writing in. Uh, I really don't have anything to add to the points that Dave made. And uh, one com- one thing I want to say right off the bat is, Dave, you know, never feel bad about sounding like an insufferable know-it-all. Any knowledge you bring to the podcast in your feedback is greatly appreciated. And I, I'll i be honest, on, on Tuesday, every week, I look forward to seeing your email and uh, reading your thoughts on the episodes, even if they're not going to get onto the show proper for 10 weeks or so. But, no, Dave, never feel like uh, an insufferable know-it-all, even if you sometimes sound like one. And as far as your points on the episodes, I really have nothing else to add, except uh, you you imagining that he didn't have enough room for the bat raid with his uh, bat shark repellent spray. But if you'll remember, Dave, the bat shark repellent was not in Batman's utility belt. That was in the uh, batcopter. So if that's in the batcopter, there might be a slot there for the bat can of raid. 
which would probably be called Bat Rape, because I've mentioned before, one thing Batman understands is branding. And I'm glad that you're liking season two better than the first season. And yeah, there are uh, more, uh, definitely more uh, actual villains, even if they're not the villains that we're used to seeing from DC Comics. So as always, uh, thank you, Dave, for writing in. And I have some additional feedback I'd like to uh, to get into the show. Uh, this uh, was written to me recently by Phil Mancino. Subject is, great job with the podcast. First and foremost, thank you, Phil. And uh, Phil writes, Hello, Mike. I've been meaning to write you this email for quite a long time, but I guess you can say life kept getting in the way. Anyway, I just wanted to chime in and say I'm a big fan of your podcast and genuinely look forward to each episode. I've been listening since almost the beginning, a couple of years ago. I put a random Superman search on my Apple Podcast app and saw your show. Gave it a listen and loved it. I immediately downloaded the first few episodes to catch up and have been listening ever since. The episodes with Bob Fisher are great and the extra and at the movies are a great listen as well. We're just about the same age, give or take a year or so. So the stuff you cover and the relation to points in time, I completely relate to. Belated congrats on your 100th episode and looking forward to 100 more. Maybe a thousand more? (laughs) LOL. If you keep putting them out, we'll keep on listening. Thanks for the great podcast and keep up the great work. In the words of regular contributor, Dave McIlvenny, live long and prosper. Yours truly, Phil. And uh, Phil uh, apologized for butchering his name. Fortunately, Phil, nobody has to know that you may or may not have butchered the spelling of Dave's name. If I believe there was a point in time where Dave's Dave writes into so many podcast, other podcasts that I listen to. I've noticed after a while there was a discrepancy in how several of us were saying his name. So I actually did have to uh, chime in and uh, send Dave a message and ask him the proper pronunciation for his name. Because if you put three podcasters in a room, we were all saying Dave's name differently. But but yes, uh, Phil, feel free to uh, write in, uh, you know, whenever. And yeah, I will agree that some of my favorite episodes are the ones where I can get some guests on some other voices on the show, but... I wish I could do it more, but unfortunately, the uh, production of the show is so demanding that a lot of times I just have to uh, kind of get on with it, get you know, kind of get it out, and uh, not uh, have time to schedule somebody because scheduling uh, takes time and effort. And some of these super friends episodes, I wouldn't want to put anybody uh, through them unnecessarily. Yeah, I've definitely got one or two hundred more planned. A thousand more? I don't know. There may not be enough content for that, and that's a lot of episodes. You know, because right at, right as I get to the other side of Superman the Animated Series is a very intimidating 10 seasons of Smallville staring. I don't know. That's at least a four-year project. So I guess we'll see when we get to that time. But what I'm going to do now is I'm going to take a quick break, stop procrastinating on getting to this week's episodes, and come back with the new Super Friends episode, Batman Dead or Alive, and the challenge of the Super Friends episode, Fairy Tale of Doom. Hang around, folks. Hey everyone, I'm Michael Bailey. And I'm Jeffrey Taylor. You might remember us from such show as From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast. Whatever happened to that show? Well, it went away and now it's back. We're back? That's right, after taking a year off and having a preview episode on April 1st, all new episodes of From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast will be available for download or subscription on your favorite podcatcher starting on May 30th, 2018. We have a lot to talk about right away, like the aftermath of the death of Clark Kent... The end of Season 2 of Lois and Clark, The New Adventures of Superman. All of the Superman-related annuals under the Year One banner. Superman v. Aliens, Dawn of a Really Good Crossover. And so much more as we continue through the triangle-numbered books and the related books for the second half of 1995 as we gear up for that line-wide crossover, Underworld Unleashed. Starring the newly revived Lex Luthor and the Superman crossover, The Trial of Superman. And right around the corner, there's a wedding and a major change for both the costume and powers of the Man of Steel. There's a wedding? Who's getting married? Plus the side titles, miniseries, and one-shots that we've been really excited to tackle. From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast. Covering the post-crisis on Infinite Earths era of Superman. New episodes drop on Thursdays, mostly. Unless they don't, but there's usually a very good excuse. Show notes, images from the comics covered, and back episodes can be found at www.fortressofbailytude.com.
All right, welcome back, folks. The episodes covered in this segment had an original broadcast date of December 2nd, 1978. And we're going to start with the new Super Friends episode, Batman, Dead or Alive. And our synopsis is brought to you by the Super Friends Wiki. After Batman humiliates him in combat, an intergalactic outlaw named Capricorn Kid puts a bounty on the Dark Knight's head. The Capricorn Kid and his robot gang capture Zan and Jaina at the Hall of Justice. Batman, Robin, have you seen the Wonder Twins? Not since we left for Texacana. They were supposed to guard the Hall of Justice last night, but when we returned this morning, they were gone. Holy kidnapping culprits, look! Great Gotham, the Capricorn Kid must have taken the Wonder Twins. That's right, Batman. But don't worry, they're perfectly fine. That is, until the mine shaft they're in floods with water. You've got two hours, Batman. Try to rescue them. <laughs> it sounds like the kid is going to have an ambush wait. They won't be suspecting all of us. Right. We'll have a little surprise for them, too. They take the Wonder Twins to an old West-themed planet and tie them up in a well filling with water. The Super Friends arrive on the planet and split up to search for the teens before it's too late. Aquaman is captured, but he is stuck in the mud and trapped by an Earth-moving machine. Wonder Woman finds one of the robot cowboys at an old brick and captures him with her magic lasso. But the robot horse has paralysis beam eyes and Wonder Woman is made helpless. Superman is lured into a cabin by robot cowboys on a flying robot horseback and tunnels into the cabin to seize the pair, but is quickly imprisoned in a kryptonite cell. Batman and Robin rescue the Wonder Twins, but learning that the other super friends have been captured, go off to save them. Holy gold mines, Batman! There isn't much time! Less than you think! Look again! You've also got to save Aquaman, Wonder Woman, and Superman. It's your choice, Batman. Capture me or save your friends. There's no choice, kid, but we'll be back. Batman saves Aquaman from a paddle wheeler that is about to go over a waterfall, and then saves the kryptonite chain Superman from a train about to crash, about to cross a destroyed bridge. Robin saves the titanium rope-bound Wonder Woman from a stagecoach as it's about to go over a cliff. Batman then faces the Capricorn Kid and proves he is faster when he uses a bat laser to shoot the gun out of his hand. With the kid's gang permanently disassembled, he won't be getting out of jail this time. Thanks for bringing him in, Batman. And here's your reward. No thanks, Sheriff. You'll need it to repair the damage the kid has done. Speaking of damage, we'd better find Gleek before he causes any. There he is! I think he wants you to try to outdraw him, Wonder Brother. That'll be a cinch. Okay, kid, draw! <laughs> There's no doubt about it. Gleek's the fastest banana in the West. <laughs> okay. So this episode is a bit of a mixture of... And the narration, opening narration will actually say that. It's a weird mixture of... Futuristic technology and the Old West. The only flesh and blood villain in this episode is the Capricorn Kid. He kind of represents the part of the episode that is uh, Old West based. While his Old West themed cohorts are all robotic, kind of representing the advanced portion of uh, the world. The world is Texicana. Obviously, the word Texas is uh, kind of implied in the name of this planet. And... Capricorn Kid and his robotic henchmen are going to rob a town with their ray guns. And it's interesting seeing these robotic horses pulling a rocket-propelled carriage, almost as though you don't really need the horses to move the thing. So Capricorn Kid robs the carriage and then the local bank, using his uh, laser gun to melt the safe. And then the sheriff shows up and promptly gets shot and frozen into some kind of stasis. Obviously, in a kid's cartoon, the laser is not going to kill him, even if that's what I was expecting right off the bat. So we have the shopkeeper, who kind of resembles uh, Commissioner Gordon with his white hair and white mustache. He witnesses the goings-on, and he is going to telegraph the Super Friends on another planet. Yes, apparently there is no authority on Texacana that can deal with these people. He has to call the Super Friends all the way on Earth. Doesn't seem like an efficient use of uh, resources. You would think uh, Texacana, if there was a need for this, would have something that can handle Capricorn Kid. Now, of course, to keep up with this episode's theme, Gleek is practicing for the rodeo, and he's trying to rope Jaina, who was turned into a bull, while Santa is a nice rocking horse. This scene is supposed to be funny, and I'm supposed to, if I was a kid, it would be funny, but to the adult me, it's not very funny. So, uh, they get the, uh, telegraph message, and Superman quickly interprets the message, and Batman and Robin head to Texacana, because apparently Batman and Robin can travel through space easier than Superman can. You know, 
Superman only has his superpowers, which at this time were pretty uh, prolific. You know, flying through space out of the galaxies is quite easy for him. But nope, he doesn't do this. They need to employ the services of Batman and the Bat Rocket ship. So Batman and Robin show up on Texicana, and they look like they're making light work of the Capricorn Kid and his gang. And the Bat Electromagnet stops the robots while Batman swings in and stops the Capricorn Kid with some water. Basically kind of sprays some water at him and he falls off his horse. So many thanks from the town to Batman and Robin, and they're going to hold the Capricorn Kid for a couple of days while waiting for the intergalactic police or something. Apparently they have no uh, resources on their own planet to keep the Capricorn Kid in check. They need to farm this out elsewhere. Of course, as any good villain, five minutes into an episode, he vows revenge while sitting in the town jail. And this is really some jail. It allowed, they allowed him to keep this electronic device that he seems to have, and he uses it to contact his other members of his robotic gang. I'm not necessarily sure if I can call them members, or if they're his property, or what, but either way, these uh, robotic henchmen just kind of show up, break him out of jail by pulling the wall right off of the building. So, the Capricorn Kid has got a bed for Batman, and he wants a ton of revenge on the Cape Crusader. Yeah, I know the uh, synopsis called him the Dark Knight, but I have a lot of trouble calling the Batman that appears in Super Friends, The Dark Knight. So now the twins have woken up, and somehow Zan recognizes these guys as space outlaws. I guess because they're dressed up like cowboys. I guess anybody dressed up like a cowboy to Zan, one of the great minds of the planet Exor, is an outlaw. So Gleek is uh, roped while Zan and Jaina become a horse and a nice and a nice knight to fight these guys. This goes nowhere as the robot picks off Jaina, and immediately the twins are caught, as they always are. And the robots take them back to Texicana, Apparently they came in a flying saucer, which is the only type of spaceship anybody from the 70s can think of, I guess. There's a little on the nose there with all the stories about alien abductions and things like that. But this is not an alien abduction podcast, so I'm going to move right along. So, the League discovers the Capricorn Kid has abducted the twins, and he challenges his Batman, and the entire League heads to Texicana. For once, the entire League is going to do something. And not just, you know, kind of send out one member. So, apparently our kid has a plan for the super friends, and he's going to set a bunch of traps. He must have done a bunch of research, because... I don't know how well-known throughout the universe the Super Friends are supposed to be, but it seems like everybody in the universe seems to uh, know them. I mean, if this shopkeeper was sending a message through, through space to the Super Friends, they must be champions of the universe, I guess. If you ask me, Texacana should be able to solve this problem at home without outside help, but they can't. So apparently the Super Friends are playing right into Capricorn Kid's plan, and Aquaman is intercepted in a gold mine by a robot, and he ends up caught in a river dredger which is used to pull minerals up from the uh, water. I believe the uh, synopsis called it a paddle wheel. So instead of getting crushed by the uh, machine, Aquaman is instead captured by a robot space cowboy. I bet you never expected to hear the term robot space cowboy on this podcast. Well, I'm not even sure I ever expected to ever say those words together. But now I have, and now you've heard them. Wonder Woman has learned into an underground oil well, and she seems to defeat the robotic cowboy who she she, uh, is paired up with. But she's led into a trap as the horse freezes Wonder Woman's muscles, and she is captured as well. Superman can't find anyone else, and he is intercepted by flying bandits. The horses are apparently rocket-propelled, and they lead him to what appears to be some kind of army fort. Now, Superman charges the two robots and is lured into a kryptonite cell, and so far, this episode is not really a very good showing for the Super Friends. So, Batman and Robin find the kid on a street, and he challenges them to a fight, at the very least. But, of course, Kid cheats and sends the entire robotic gang after Batman and Robin. Never trust a villain in a duel, even if it's a duel he's planning, because he is going to have some kind of ace in the hole that he's going to hide, so he can cheat and win the day. But Kid is no match for Batman and Robin again, and he is captured, then he plays a video showing uh, the peril that the Super Friends are in. And that kind of leaves Batman and Robin with a choice to make. They can either continue capturing Kid, or they can go save their friends. Obviously, as heroes, they go and save their friends, and that kind of leaves Kid to gloat. You know, because I guess he has no, uh, as usual, the villain has no concept that the uh, hero is going to frustrate his plans. He just thinks everything is going along uh, quite well. So Batman and Robin goes uh, after the twins and save them from the cave. Gleek finds what I think is gold in the water, and I kind of wonder how that's going to help. But as I recall, uh, it doesn't. I don't even think that gold makes a return appearance. Not even Chekhov can find a use for that particular gold. Apparently in this episode, Aquaman can't talk to the alien fish. They must speak a different fish language or something. So before the boat he's, got, he's on goes over a cliff, he's saved by Batman. Aquaman takes a moment to thank him, but a very terse Batman tells him, talk to you later and moves on. Normally, this version of Batman is not that short with people. Normally, he's quite the chatty Cassie, but not this time. There is work to be done. He must be stressed out. 
the Wonder Woman, meanwhile, is tied up by titanium and about to be run over a cliff. And here's Robin on some horses, and he says Wonder Woman. Superman, meanwhile, like the synopsis mentioned, is tied up with kryptonite chains on a runaway train. And uh, Batman deploys the Bat Anchor, because Batman never leaves home without the Bat Anchor. And that stops the train from falling over a cliff. So, with the uh, Super Friends rescued, Batman uh, has to take on the kid. And this is an extremely Old West duel, except uh, there seems to be no person to officiate this thing. It's just kind of happening. So, as soon as kid draws, Batman freezes him with a ray off his belt, and the kid goes to jail. So, apparently, Batman is uh, the fastest draw in Texacana. So, they return the gang to jail, and the robot has been disassembled. And presumably, there is no due process for robots on this planet. And it ends with another Greek banana joke. Because you never have enough Gleek banana jokes. Not a great episode. The mix of modern robotics in the Western setting was interesting, even if it was a bit strange. And honestly, I don't know if it's anticipation of uh, the upcoming Superman the Movie Month, or just that the uh, this particular season seems to be kind of stumbling to the finish. But I'm just eager to move on to the next episode. Alright, let's move on to the Challenge of the Super Friends episode. Fairy Tale of Doom. And our synopsis is brought to you by SupermanHomePage.com, your number one source for Superman information on the web. Toy Man has invented a device that can transport someone into a storybook. He tests it by visiting 20,000 leagues under the sea. It worked! My newest and most awesome invention ever is a complete success! It's fantastic! A device that can project anyone right into the pages of a storybook, allowing them to become part of the tale itself. Right! Like 20,000 leagues beneath the sea! There's only one catch to the device. If you don't get out of the story within 12 hours, you become stuck in the book forever! How come there's a flaw in your device, Toy Man? There isn't a flaw. It's been perfectly designed to trap the Super Friends in what will become their fairy tale of doom! <laughs> When some of the Super Friends are away at an alien conference, Toy Man lures Hawkman into Jack and the Beanstalk, Cheetah lures Wonder Woman into Alice in Wonderland, and Brainiac brings Superman to Lilliput in Gulliver's Travels. If the heroes don't escape in 12 hours, they'll be trapped forever. While the rest of the Super Fools are busy discussing interplanetary peace, we've got the entire Earth at our mercy! Not to mention three helpless Super Friends! Move on! That man and the others are on their way back to Earth! There's nothing to worry about, Matter. We'll use the Super Friends' own devices to capture them. And in only six more hours, Superman, Hawkman, and Wonder Woman will be gone for good. <laughs> Batman, Robin, Green Lantern, and Black Vulcan return. We'd better check the Justice League recorder and find out where Superman, Wonder Woman, and Hawkman are. science fiction, Batman. What was that? Perhaps I can explain. We've trapped your super companions much the same way we're about to trap you. They've got us penned up in our own escape-proof intruder trap. That's right, Batfool. And Superman, Wonder Woman, and Hawkman are trapped inside these storybooks. And in less than one hour, they will become lost forever in the pages of fairy tale history. Black Manta and I will remain at the Hall of Justice. Right, Luthor. The rest of us will begin our mission of felony. Batman frees the three other heroes, and after capturing Luthor and Black Manta, the heroes trick Captain Cold, Giganta, and Sinestro into showing how to rescue the other heroes. That takes care of the last fairy tale. Holy time clocks! We made it with only three seconds to spare. It looks like our story has a happy ending after all. Not from the Legion of Doom's point of view. Maybe next time they'll learn that it's no fairy tale when they challenge the Super Friends. Alright, so, now we have fairy tales. <sighs> but at least we have the main DC villains, so there is that. So, uh, this submarine is the Nautilus under the command of Captain Nemo, and is attacked by a giant squid, and there's Toy Man, who marvels that it works better than he thought. Now, we're not sure at the jump here what Toy Man is referring to if you know the story, and I'm not sure how... I mean, maybe some kids knew the story back then. I mean, I, I certainly know it, and uh, the concepts of the Nautilus and uh, Captain Nemo and a giant squid is definitely 20,000 leagues under the sea. So, it worked better than he thought, or maybe too well, as 
Toy Man comes rising out of a storybook. It seemed to work well enough. And the newest and greatest thing that they have now can send someone into a story so they can be part of the story. It almost could sound like this could be kind of a amusement park thing, you know, where you can immerse yourself in a story and uh, become part of it. But now we learn the real reason for its use and the quote-unquote flaw behind it, if you want to call it a flaw. If you're not out of the story in 12 hours, you're stuck there forever. And that's how Toy Man plans to trap the Super Friends permanently. Just to kind of get them uh, stuck in the book for 12 hours. So they're stuck there forever. So uh, most of the Super Friends at the moment are kind of off-planet doing some goodwill missions. You know, it's like they're in on the intergalactic uh, Super Friends roadshow or something. So Hawkman shows up to stop an avalanche and Grundy shoots him and Toy Man into the pages of Jack and the Beanstalk. Now Sheeta is going to hit the Southern Mexico silver mine as Wonder Woman arrives and she runs and leads Wonder Woman into Alice in Wonderland. Then in Japan, Brainiac strikes at an electronic plant and... He basically wants to amplify his brain 1,000 times. Level 12 uh, intelligence shouldn't need to enhance his brain power that much. But Superman is quickly captured and shackled to a conveyor belt with an electrical charge to it. Superman comments about how weak the charge is, and then he gets free, but then he follows Brainiac into another story, which is revealed to be the village of Lilliput in Gulliver's Travels. So we're now in the book, which kind of reminds you of Gumby. Remember how in little Gumby cartoons? I don't know if they're cartoons. It's kind of a claymation-type thing that they did back then. He would kind of go into a book to uh, find different locations. Remember, they had a little bandstand that they uh, played in, and they had to go into a book to get there. The only particular episode I remember is uh, one where the blockheads painted something on the book, so they couldn't get out. And wanted to trap them in the book. I don't remember how Gumby and company got out, but they did. And, again, I am wandering. Back to Super Friends. So Hawkman is playing the role of Jack in Jack and the Beanstalk, and Wonder Woman ends up in Alice in Wonderland, like I said, and she runs into the rabbit which is enough for Wonder Woman to recognize what story she's in. So apparently the Ray also makes the heroes the main characters. And of course, Superman ends up tied up in Gulliver's Travels by Kryptonite Ropes. I feel as though I've seen Kryptonite Ropes on a previous episode. We just saw Kryptonite Chain on the new Super Friends episode, and uh, now we're seeing some Kryptonite Ropes. It's good to see some variety, you know, which is absolutely the spice of life. So the Legion breaks into the Hall of Justice, and of course they're planning to bend Earth to their will. Why they need to break into the Hall of Justice to do that when they have their own headquarters, I don't know, but... They break into the Hall of Justice, presumably to wait for everybody else to come home. The Hawkman is looking for the Toy Man, and apparently he hasn't figured out how to work out the Jack and the Beanstalk story. And Hawkman encounters the Giant, which is basically defending its home from the interlopers. Now, I, this is the part where my mind starts to wander, and I wonder what happens if they don't get out. Uh, obviously, they'd be stuck there, but do they end up in every copy of the story? I mean, books are printed hundreds of thousands of times. Would that change every copy, or just this one? The thing that I think about when an episode is kind of subpar... The Hawkman is trying not to become the giant's dinner, and he does manage to escape the, um, the pot in the ladle. But Hawkman nearly chases Toy Man out of the book, but Luthor turns off the machine at the last minute. So, so Hawkman is trapped and hiding from the giant. Wonder Woman, meanwhile, is tied to a mushroom and being hassled by these two creatures, one of which bites the mushroom and sends her spinning into a lagoon. Wonder Woman saves herself with a lasso using the, her telepathic control over the device, and she renews her pursuit of Cheetah who also escapes the book. And then Wonder Woman is captured by a bunch of playing cards, which is not the Royal Flush Gang. At least not the Royal Flush Gang that we're used to seeing. So, in Gulliver's Travel, Superman uses heat vision to send the kryptonite away. He uh, magnetizes the cage, but Brainiac gets away as well. And, uh, after Brainiac escapes, Superman is again felled by kryptonite cannonballs. And it's funny, here you see Superman get frustrated and exclaim, Not again! You know, I think he's tired of the games. But... Toy Man is real giddy that his plan is working. And while Robin is losing hope, Batman recites the first law of a super friend. There's always a way. So, Batman does some electrical work to get the uh, hatch open. I didn't mention this before in my notes, but when they arrived at the Hall of Justice, the uh, super friends kind of fell into their own trap. Which is really stupid. There they are, the Legion of Doom is hanging out in their uh, computer room, and they stand right on their own trap door. There's always a way should be the second law of the Super Friends. The first law of a Super Friend should be don't be dumb. But that's just me. Those are rules that I would make up. So, we get what appears to be a huge Green Lantern, and uh, this is not the last time we're going to see that. Apparently a giant Green Lantern is uh, something uh, the ring can do. And it's not just a protection from the ring, it's actually a giant Green Lantern. And he takes care of the Legion very quickly and drops them into the intruder trap. So Batman has an idea to get them... To get the other Super Friends free, and that's when another other Legion members show up. The Super Friends are surrounded by some kind of uh, shield and put into stasis, so obviously this was a setup. 
Must be Batman's idea. So, when Green Lantern uh, reports what happened, the villains go into the storybooks, followed by the heroes. So, Black Vulcan saves Hawkman rather easily, much to Captain Cold's dismay. Green Lantern quickly shows up and saves Wonder Woman from the Wonderland trial. Superman is still dying from the cannonballs, or somebody who is really uh, vulnerable to kryptonite. He sure takes a long time to die from it. But, quick call from Batman, and Superman is free. So, everyone arrives home safely, and the Legion is captured once again. The Legion of Doom never learns. So, okay, yeah. This is an okay episode. It's interesting seeing interpretation of all the different fairy tales. You know, an interpretation by someone other than Disney, and to see the actual dangers that lurk within. All the old fairy tales have been quite uh, Disney-fied when they were made into animated films, but some of these uh, fairy tales can be kind of dark. But, ugh, just a, not a great episode. It's not really, you know, aside, I'd love to give you guys more than just kind of narration. This happened, that happened, blah, 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 but these episodes, not a lot of meat on the bones. Not a lot to dissect and uh, pick apart. I mean, if I want to be pedantic, I can sit and pick, pick out stupid stuff, but I don't know. Is that, does that make a compelling episode? I don't know. It's just Not a lot to chew on with these cartoons. You know, I had the same problem with the filmations. Not really a lot to chew on. That's going to change in October. Just saying. Well, now I'm going to say I'm taking a quick break, playing a podcast promo, then I'm going to come back with Battle of the Gods. Hang around, folks. Hi, I'm John Wilson. And I'm Michael Kaiser. And we're the hosts of the podcast, Make Ours Marvel. You know, here we are in 2018, 10 years into the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Yeah, can you believe we live in a world where everyone's old Aunt Petunia knows who Iron Man is? It's crazy, right? So, to celebrate, we're on our mission to explore the roots of the Marvel Universe. You know you've thought about it. Some of you may have even done it. And now we're going to do it too. We're diving back into the long boxes of Marvel's history and podcasting our way through the whole universe. All of it. Every superhero issue. And, if I can convince Mike, we'll even do Sergeant Fury. And it's not going to be one issue per episode. That'd take forever. (laughs) It's still going to take forever. But no, we're going to talk about as many comics as we can in an hour. Yep, an hour and, you know, maybe a little change. Every week, Marvel Comics. So it'd be super cool if you came along for the ride. Look for us every Friday at MakeOursMarvel.com. That's MakeOursMarvel.com. Or on iTunes and all the other usual podcasty places. And if you want to read along with us and send us your thoughts, we might even read emails. So until Avengers Infinity War gets a spin-off Warlock and the Infinity Watch TV show, Make Ours Marvel. All right, welcome back, folks. The original broadcast date for the episodes in this segment, December 9th, 1978. And we're going to start with the new Super Friends episode, Battle of the Gods. And our synopsis is brought to you by SupermanHomePage.com, your number one source for Superman information on the web. Answering a summons from the goddess Aphrodite, Wonder Woman and the Super Friends journey to the planet Kaltos, where they are forced by Zeus to participate in mythological adventures to prove their heroism. What right have you to threaten those who are in my presence? The same right you have to throw senseless praise at any mortal who passes by. Your super friends don't look very super anymore. (laughs) Only you, Hera, could bring anger to the goddess of love. I will not have such a quarrel on Mount Olympus. Zeus! What is the meaning of this disturbance? Hera has insulted me because of her extreme jealousy over the Super Friends. Zeus! Liar! It is Aphrodite who makes fools out of the gods by her flattery of mere mortals. Silence! I'll settle this matter for good. Those mortals will face four tasks of danger that only the greatest could survive. We'll see if the Super Friends deserve Aphrodite's praise. This beast is too strong. There's no way. Super Friends! You are hereby challenged by the gods of Olympus to face the four tasks of peril. But what if we refuse? You cannot refuse. I, Zeus, command it. We shall begin with the one from Atlantis. Your task, Aquaman, 
is to sail to the island of Cartania and retrieve the Golden Fleece. Take this map. It will show you the way through the Sea of Death. It appears I have no choice but to follow the dictates of Zeus. When the woman is sent to retrieve the necklace of the Gorgon Medusa, and rather immodestly refers to herself as the champion of Paradise Island at one point. So, that's our synopsis. It's not very, really a great synopsis. It gets the job done. It leaves out the other challenges that the Super Friends take part in, and I'll get to them later. And yes, she does refer to herself as a champion of Paradise Island, and that's not untrue. She did win the tournament to come to Man's World. So I'm not sure what the writer of this uh, particular blurb had an, uh, had a problem with that. But let's get into the episode, shall we? We're in space, and these unknown people are being attacked by someone as the super friends show up and take care of the problem. Batman is trying an old trick that never fails, at least according to him, like rappelling down a rope in a place where there's no gravity and going to a, into space without a spacesuit and just a helmet. These are things that should always fail. You can't rappel without gravity, and Batman can't survive without a spacesuit. And I don't care if he's the goddamn Batman. So Superman throws some spaceships in different directions, and Wonder Woman apparently has uh, lasso rockets. So I wonder what other characters are going to contribute to this episode. So now we go to a place not called Olympus, where the gods hang out. Mount Olympus will be uh, mentioned later, so I guess Mount Olympus is a place on uh, planet Kaltos. If we're going to kind of use the uh, Marvel Cinematic Universe interpretation of Asgard, apparently the uh, Greek gods just come from, are just aliens from another planet, even though they constantly refer to themselves as gods. So, apparently there's an earthquake, and the Super Friends are still fighting the, the space city, so uh, they're trying to defend that from whatever's attacking them, so they can't help at the moment. Wonder Woman gets a uh, telepathic message from Aphrodite on Kaltos. Diana, my temple on the planet Kaltos is about to be destroyed by an earthquake. Hurry, protect it for me. I'll do my very best, Aphrodite. Wonder Woman to Super Friends, I've got to take care of an emergency on Kaltos. Meet me there when you've handled the Voltons. Later at Planet Kaltos. Great goddesses, how am I going to stop an earthquake? And she's on her way. She leaves the Super Friends in battle and she goes to take care of Aphrodite. So Wonder Woman uses her jet to literally stitch a fissure together. No, no joke. She fires, I guess, more lasso rockets into the planet and literally pulls the fissure closed. Okay, whatever works, I guess. So the rest of the Super Friends show up a little too late, but get showered with praise from uh, Aphrodite, and this uh, draws some anger from Hera, who is known for her legendary jealousy. Now, I know most of you realize that Aphrodite is the Greek goddess of love, while Hera is the goddess of women, marriage, family, and childbirth in ancient Greek religion and myth. She is one of the 12 Olympians and the sister wife of Zeus. Not going anywhere near that. But she's kind of a big deal on Olympus. And if you want any more information on Hera, at least as she appears in Greek mythology, you can read up on that on your own time. But as far as Zeus goes, uh, she is known for her jealousy and she is prone to temper tantrums. And we're going to see some Hera temper tantrums in this episode. And we're going to get one right now, kind of. Hera sends a centaur after the super friend, and of course, the kryptonite hooves, because Hera knows all. She knows how to get rid of Superman. So Hera claims the right to threaten the super friends, basically on the grounds that Aphrodite is uh, claiming the right to shower them with praise, and this starts an argument. Greek gods are a lot like children. They fight over stupid crap. And Zeus gets mad and that they're fighting, and he sets a decree, because what else are you going to do when two women in front of you are arguing? As a male, you make a decree... And everything falls in place. <laughs> yeah, that's how it works. But anyway, Zeus gets to make a decree because he is the uh, pretty much the god of gods of uh, Greek mythology. So, the, the, the uh, decree is that for the Super Friends to undertake four tasks, and they have no other choice because Zeus commands it. Another uh, tenet of uh, Greek mythology, if, if Zeus commands it, it doesn't matter what your plans for the day were. It doesn't matter if you were going to polish your boots, pick your toenails. You're doing what... Zeus wants you to do for the day. You know, just the gods just seem bored all the time, and they screw with mortals, you know, kind of to make the day go by. So, Aquaman has to sail a river with no map, so, okay. Wonder Woman has to uh, defeat Medusa and take her necklace. Oh, and while Aquaman is sailing the river with no map, he has to get the Golden Fleece. Batman and Rob have to figure out the riddle of the Sphinx, and Superman has to find the Minotaur, but 
He refuses, stating that he has already proven his heroism through his uh, work with the Super Friends. And now it is your turn, Superman. To prove your strength and ability, you must find your way through the maze of caverns and capture the deadly Minotaur. This test is unnecessary, Zeus. I've already proved my strength and ability as a member of the Super Friends. You may have proved it to the world of mortals, Superman, but not to the gods. Finding the Minotaur isn't going to be easy. These caves lead in a hundred directions. Zeus decreed that he go to take this challenge. Superman said, nope, here's my resume. And Zeus says, shut your mouth, Kryptonian. You're going to find me a Minotaur. And Superman really has no argument there. He's, uh, his resume is not getting him where he needs it to go. So uh, he'll have to uh, abide by the rules of the job interview. So Wonder Woman loses her challenge and the twins are able to uh, watch the proceedings on the view screen. You know, I had uh, invoked uh, the thought of Arena, the uh, original Star Trek episode on uh, last week's episode. And, you know, kind of reminds me of that as well here as the twins are watching uh, the Super Friends take part in these uh, challenges on their view screen. As if a recording could actually get to them where they are. But I guess if Zeus wants to want the twins to watch, they can watch. So the twins uh, go to Kaltos and they take Wonder Woman's attacker away and drop him to the ground. And whoever attacks Wonder Woman is uh, put down by the Wonder Twins and they deactivate their powers. Well, the twins think they found Wonder Woman, but instead they found Medusa and they're turned into stone statues, which is probably the best use for the Wonder Twins that anybody can find. So Batman and Robin are looking to uh, solve the Sphinx's mystery, and they don't have an answer. The riddle involved uh, what can be blown. I don't even remember what the riddle was. I should have written it down in my notes. Anyway, Superman, meanwhile, is searching for a Minotaur, and as usual, in a magical place, Superman's powers don't work the way they're supposed to, but he does uh, use his hearing and decides to give us a lesson on how sonar works. And how it uses sound waves to find its way. And then Superman is attacked by his own shadows. Like I said, magical world. This gives Hera a chance to gloat. Well, it looks like your super mortals aren't so praiseworthy after all. <laughs> your tasks are unfair, Zeus. No one but the gods could surmount such hardships. Maybe so, Aphrodite. In which case, the outcome for your friends will be a grim one. Again, Zeus doesn't care a whole hell of a lot. So Aquaman almost uh, has the Golden Fleece, but an invisible life form holds him back. But Aquaman has an idea, and he kind of dusts the shape, and uh, it's revealed to be a person, and he kind of just pushes it aside and takes the fleece. Then Gleek shows up to help Wonder Woman, and she sends the monkey after Medusa as a distraction. So Gleek does what he does best. He causes some trouble, swinging from the chandelier as Wonder Woman sneaks up on uh, Medusa. But she's discovered, but uses her telepathic lasso to get the necklace off of Medusa's neck. And Wonder Woman has won. Yay! But Medusa isn't quite defeated until she sees her reflection of Wonder Woman's bracelets and is turned to stone by her own gaze. I guess she can't handle the sight of her own face. There are a few who can. The Sphinx threatens them some more. Batman and Robin fail to come up with the answer. I have a sound clip that tells you what the riddle was. I'm not going to repeat it, but the answer was sand. Because, you know, it's coarse and it gets into everything. You better have an answer for the riddle! Your time is running out! And I'm getting hungry! Holy brain drainers, Batman. I can't figure it out. I've almost got it. Almost isn't good enough. I'm afraid you've lost. That's it. I've got it. Only one thing builds up castles and tears down mountains, makes some men blind and helps others to see. It's sand. A child uses it to build sand castles, and the wind causes it to erode mountains. Of course, Batman. In a desert storm, it's blinding. And heated to make glass, it helps people to see. Wow! It's impossible! No one's ever figured out my riddle! And you won't live to tell otherwise! So the Sphinx gets mad because Batman and Robin figured out the riddle. Yeah, poor creature. I feel so sorry for it. Meanwhile, Superman's getting his butt kicked by his shadow, because why not? Then he defeats it by turning off the lights. That's using your head. Basically, Superman uh, uses his, uh, his carrying around his cape. It's very weird to see this Superman carrying the cape and not wearing it. But he's not going to be wearing it because we're going to have a bullfight in a minute. So now we get to see uh, Bullfighter Superman. I'm sure an action figure that Kenner should have tried to sell. And he uses his own cape to defeat the Minotaur. I do love the image of how he holds up the, the cape and all you see is the LOS. And that draws the Minotaur. Very weird seeing Superman as a bullfighter, but that was a nice image of the cape and the yellow S on the back of it. Modern uh, costumers, put that back, please. 
It's already back in the comic, now it just needs to be back in uh, live action and future animation. For instance, when Tyler Hecklin shows up on the CW crossover in, in a few months, I want to see him in a proper Superman costume, and I want to see a Yellow West on that cape. To kind of reflect the fact that the comics are now back to using the classic suit. Sup- the Supergirl show kind of implied in the past episode that when Superman had his classic costume on in the comics before it was changed in 2011, there was a comment made about Superman's trunks, so apparently Tyler Hecklin's Superman wore trunks at one point. So now that the comics are back to the trunks, I'd like to see that reflected. And you see how I'm veering, I keep veering away from this episode? So, after the Super Friends win their challenge, uh, Zeus gives his approval to the Super Friends, but Hera is still not having it. It must be that time of the month or something. She still wants to uh, show the Super Friends infallible. She can't handle that, and then falls into her own fissure during her tantrum, and is rebuked by Zeus, and rescued by Wonder Woman. Makes me wonder why Wonder Woman runs around yelling, saying, Great Hera all the time. She's not that great. But that was a good episode. I enjoyed it. You know, a little silly, but, you know, lots of adventure, lots of fun stuff to see. Monsters and all that. Again, not an episode to really sink your teeth into as far as the content goes, but it is enjoyable nonetheless. So, let's finish this week's episode off with the challenge of the Super Friends episode, Doomsday. No, not that Doomsday. That Doomsday didn't show up until 1992. We're still in 1978. Come on, what's the matter with you? So, uh... Our synopsis is brought to you by supermanhomepage.com. Sinestro, Cheetah, and Black Manta vow revenge against the Legion when the Legion lets them be captured during an attempted hijack of a nuclear carrier. They escape detention in the Hall of Justice by going through to the Quad Dimension, and they end up taking over a military installation where a new weapon allows one to channel energy through the mind. They leave Flash and Apache Chief trapped in Diamond and attack the Legion by creating a second Hall of Doom. As soon as we have all of Alaska's oil, the Legion of Doom will hold the strings on America's industry. It's the intruder alarm! Something must be wrong with the monitor. That's a picture of ourselves! There's nothing wrong with it. We are being attacked by another Hall of Doom. That's right, you Legion of Fools. Superman has temporarily been in Quard in the Antimatter universe where he is attacked by a Kryptonian knight because of rigged robot dummies left by the three villains. With Green Lantern and Black Vulcan, he eventually picks up a signal from Flash, and the five heroes manage to stop the Legion at the installation. This is your fault, Cheetah. You never should have attempted to take over a military installation. Ah, you're a fool, Luther. I don't know why we ever decided to forgive you. Good work, Apache Chief. This should teach the Legion of Doom a lesson. Never keep your eggs all in one basket, even if they are hard-boiled. Alright, so this episode will feature a great deal of the villains fighting each other. You know, I mentioned on last week's episode when I was addressing Dave's letter that I really don't care for episodes in which the heroes are fighting each other. But I never get tired of seeing the the villains fight each other. uh, It's one of the tropes of our late 70s and early 80s cartoons that basically evil can't get his act together. And is a lot of times undone on its own. And even if the good guys didn't intervene, they'd probably defeat themselves. But anyway, we're going to start with an aircraft carrier that is on its way back to Pearl Harbor. And it picks up an unidentified object. And when there's an unidentified object, notifying the Super Friends is the Navy's standard operating procedure. So Superman shows up at the Hall of Justice with a space monster. And apparently the Hall of Justice has an entire zoo of space creatures just sitting there. You know, kind of reminds me of the... uh, Zeus, the Silver and Bronze Age Superman would have up in his fortress. Except here, the zoo is at the Hall of Justice, wherever it's actually located in that universe. I wonder whose job it is to take care of them. I wonder if that's one of the things uh, Zan and Jaina had to do when, when everyone else is out having their own adventures. So the captain of the aircraft uh, carrier, Dauntless, can't take care of his own matters, and he calls the Super Friends. So, of course, it's uh, Lex Luthor and the Legion of Doom, of course, so it's a good thing they called the Super Friends. And the sub is opening fire. Why Sinestro, who has a power ring, needs to be on a submarine, I don't know. But I guess for the purposes of the story, he needs to be. So the torpedo hits the ship and doesn't explode. Instead, it gets Cheetah aboard. And she's going to shut down the nuclear-powered engines with this uh, weird-looking device that she brought on board. So Black Manta comes out of torpedo tube number two when he lands on the aircraft carrier. The Knockerman shows up, but he gets blasted out to sea by Sinestro. And I wonder, because Green Lantern scoops uh, catches Aquaman... If Green Lantern doesn't scoop him up, wouldn't Aquaman have landed on the water and just be fine? But he's saved by Green Lantern in an awesome display of teamwork. So here comes the Hall of Doom. 
apparently uh, growing to huge proportions is something Green Lantern can do. We saw it for the first time in the last challenge episode in the previous segment, and we're going to see it again here. I wonder if this is something we're going to uh, continuously see going forward. You know, Green Lantern was always able to make huge constructs, you know, kind of as big as his psyche would allow, but growing his own body is something new. So these three members of the Legion are locked up in the space zoo, along with the rest of the animals, kind of waiting for the uh, intergalactic state troopers to show up. So now the army is launching a new weapon, and Sinestro wants to use it to take revenge on the Legion of Doom. This is the uh, the mind ray that the synopsis referred to. Sinestro's plan to uh, get out of the Hall of Justice uh, break here is to go to the antimatter universe of Quirt, which is where his yellow ring was forged by the Weaponers. I don't recall if the episode said that's where Sinestro got his ring, but... That's where Sinestro got his ring. So, the army has a new installation at the Maratoa Volcano. If we can gain control of it, it will make an excellent headquarters to launch our revenge against the Legion of Doom. A brilliant idea, Sinestro. The only problem is that there's no way to get out of the Super Friends detention cell. Wrong! I know the way into the universe of Quad, where the guardians of this universe once banished me. We can slip into the Quad universe and leave three antimatter robots in our place. When the Super Friends touch them, they'll be blown into oblivion. Follow me. So apparently you just go there at will. They walk toward the wall and just disappear, and now they're in the antimatter universe. So the army's device created a sun. Very nice. Apache Chief says the device will be instrumental in creating world peace, while the scientist laments what could happen if it falls into the wrong hands. Like I've mentioned before countless times, when somebody is concerned about something falling into the wrong hands in fiction, it means that something is going to fall into the wrong hands. Just wait. And since this is only a 22-minute episode, it's going to fall into the wrong hands very soon. That's when Sinestro, Cheetah, and Black Manta show up and announce their secession from the Legion of Doom. Apache Chief is overconfident and is overcome by Cheetah, while Sinestro encases Flash and him in a diamond. Now, I've mentioned Black Vulcan before, and he is basically... Uh, Blacklight. I'm not sure if there is if there are any other characters in DC lore that are analogs for Apache Chief and uh, Samurai. If anybody knows the answer to that, let me know. Manascreen at gmail.com. So this is when the army shows up and uh, the villains use the device to turn the army men into smaller men or even children. Either way, it just makes them short. Now they're going to go after the Hall of Doom and the army sensors apparently are able to find it as well. That is, the, the ex-legionnaires are going to after the Hall and they use the ship sensors to find it. So the Super Friends are going to turn over their prisoners. Now, I understand Sinestro being wanted throughout the universe, but what have Black Manta and Cheetah done anywhere other than Earth? Why are they intergalactic fugitives? Like I said, I can understand that on the part of Sinestro, but not the other two. Well, either way, it doesn't matter, as uh, they're gone, and Superman was, uh, there was an exploding robot, and that blows Superman right into the antimatter universe. And apparently, Kartan, uh, the Black Knight of Krypton, was banished to court and not the Phantom Zone. Makes no sense why that would happen, but well, okay. For the purposes of this story, I guess. Meanwhile, Cheetah, Sinestro, and Black Manta are still searching for the Legion of Doom to exact their revenge, and they create, somehow create, with the mind device, a second Hall of Doom, and then they take off in it. Superman, meanwhile, still on cord, is uh, being squeezed by a kryptonite monster, and then he defeats And when he defeats it, Nartan blows him back to the regular universe. Okay, just a little jaunt to the antimatter realm for Superman, nothing to see there, and he's back where he belongs. So, the Legion, the is taking all of Alaska's oil to hold America's industry hostage. Oil, you know, was a really, really big deal back in 1978. Still is now, but probably... But in 1978, there was... This is the... Uh, between several uh, oil crises in the 1970s. The first was the 1973, where... In which oil prices increased 400%, and then they increased... They doubled in 1979. So this is kind of between two oil crises, and so oil was a big deal in the, in the 1970s. And that's how the Legion is going to hold America hostage. But they're suddenly being attacked by a second Hall of Doom. So the uh, ex-Legion members use the uh, device to create another hall. And, and since the original Legion members can't do anything themselves, they call the Super Friends to help them. Which is rather remarkable and funny. You've got to help us, Super Friends. We're being attacked by another Hall of Doom. Two Halls of Doom? Come on, Luthor. You don't expect us to fall for another trap. The only trap is the one we're in. Please, Super Friends! Holy Hall of Doom! Their transmitter must have been blown out! We'll pick them up with the satellite scanner. Great, Hera! Luther was right! They may not deserve it, but we've got to try to help them. 
The three of us can get there the fastest. Let's go. I really enjoyed this aspect, especially the call they make to the Super Friends. Because Superman is not going for it. I mean, he literally, he literally says, which is something you don't normally see on this cartoon. Superman is basically saying, come on, Luthor, you really expect us to believe this? But normally, you know, normally in this show, somebody calls for help, even the villains. And you know, the Super Friends are just kind of running, um, running in to save the day. But I liked Superman's skepticism. As Luthor calls for help, which is really funny. But I did like that Superman did the proper plural upon seeing the second hall. It is Halls of Doom and not Hall of Dooms. So there are two Halls of Doom, not two Hall of Dooms. Got it? Got it? Good. Moving on. And since they're heroes, they have to help even if the Legion of Doom are their enemies. I believe Wonder Woman even... uh, I'm not sure if it was Wonder Woman or Superman who actually says they don't deserve it. But they do. So even when the Legion of Doom can't handle their own affairs, they call the Super Friends for help. So, these three, Sinestro, Cheetah, and Black Manta, have captured the entire Legion of Doom. And the battle is over by the time the Super Friends arrive, and they split up to figure out what happened. Sinestro, Manta, and Cheetah are shooting the ray at the captured members, and they turn them into bowling pins, and then create a giant bowling ball, which is kind of comical. Perfect strike as the ball knocks the other ten Legion of Doom members right down. And oh, by the way, after the uh, bowling sequence... We are reminded that the Flash and the Apache Chief are in this episode. They're still locked in that diamond. I almost forgot about them. So Flash starts vibrating and sends a distress signal that way. Why he didn't think of that before, I don't know. But it's a good thing Superman recognized what Flash was doing. And now the Legion members are cue balls as Sinestro's playing pool. He hustled the table quite well. And after all that, the Legion of Doom will turn back into people. And the three uh, ex-Legion members say they can all work together now to destroy their super friends. But Luthor says no. That's when the ray machine is fired into the ocean and it creates a giant water hand. So Black Vulcan tries to throw lightning at it, and that fails, and everyone is kind of grabbed by the uh, said giant ocean ant. And when Apa- I hate when Apache Chief talks. His voice is too slow and stilted. I mean, it makes the character seem like he's talking in a foreign language. Maybe he is. It's a, really a parody of how a Native American talks, or the actor just phoning it in, one of the two, but I really don't not dig in uh, Apache Chief's speech. Probably something I should have mentioned a long time ago, but there it is. But he is uh, quite useful as the Apache Chief creates a volcanic eruption and the Legion needs to pilot the Hall of Doom away. And that gives Flash a moment to save the other Super Friends by basically turning off the Ocean Hands. And then he turns off the volcano. You know, just hit a few switches and the crisis is averted. Well, Luthor is still feeling pretty good about their plans until Superman shows up. Manta comes in a tank and Superman destroys his gun. Sinestro creates a mouse, but Green Lantern constructs a cat. Come on, Sinestro, you can do better. Then Apache Chief uses the ray to put the Legion in an egg carton. And Luthor loses it at this point, starting the uh, villain bickering that we all love. And he tells Cheetah that she never should have tried to take a military base. And I really enjoyed Luthor's meltdown during uh, the ending there. Which, then we end with a hard-boiled egg joke. Lovely. It's kind of funny that I think I enjoyed talking about that episode more than I enjoyed watching this particular episode. I mean, it was alright. But, you know, not something I'll, not an episode I'll seek out. Not necessarily worthy of a title like Doomsday, you know, which harkens images of the end of the world. It's not until 1992 where it harkens the image of a big gray monster, but, you know, everything in time. But that's it for this week. Next time we finish up the 1978 season of Super Friends with the new Super Friends episodes, Journey Through Inner Space, the, and the Rise and Fall of the Super Friends. And the challenge of the Super Friends episode, Super Friends Rest in Peace and History of Doom. If you want to comment on anything you've heard me say, I might have given you a few things to comment on. Manascreen at gmail.com. If you'd like to join the conversation over at the Facebook group, put Manascreen Podcast in your search feed and the show should come up. You can also find the show on Twitter at Manascreencast. So, until next time, folks, have a good one. Take care. Bye. The Manascreen Podcast is produced by Mike Zumo. No opinions expressed on the show are those of Mike Zumo and his guests and no one else. All music and sound clips used on the show are for review purposes only, and no copyright infringement is intended. All music and sound clips are copyright their original copyright owners. The Man of Screen is a member of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network and can be found at www.twotruefreaks.com. If you shop at Amazon.com, please consider using the link at twotruefreaks.com to shop there. If you do, the Two True Freaks get a little cut of what you buy, and it doesn't cost you anything extra. So you can shop as usual and help out the Two True Freaks at the same time. Emails of this show can be sent to manofscreen at gmail.com. And you can also leave the show a review on iTunes. That will help others find the show. 
Thank you for listening to the Man of Screen Podcast. <laughs>